Welcome, welcome, welcome. Greetings from Elfie's World. This is the place where we try to bring you a little fun, pique your interest, and you know, maybe, maybe even giving you an opportunity to learn a thing or two about history. Oh, I am so glad you decided to join us. Now, today, we are presenting another program from our collection of stories entitled Elfie's Amazing But True Tales. These are true stories which have either been well excluded from the pantheon of history or maybe not given the attention they quite deserve, for whatever reason. My name is Alfie Wolfram, and I hope you enjoy our presentation. This is episode number 49, and it is entitled Simply Amazing Harry. So, kick back, relax, enjoy. Harry S. Truman. You know, few presidents in the history of this country have been more underappreciated during their lifetime. But now, almost half a century after his passing, it's time to reflect on the contributions that Harry S. Truman made during his presidency. Born in Lamar, Missouri in 1884, President Truman grew up in the small town of Independence. Upon coming of age, he spent 12 years as a successful farmer. Now, during World War I, he served with honor as a captain in the field artillery. Upon returning home, he married the love of his life, Elizabeth Virginia Wallace, better known as Bess he opened a haberdashery, selling men's hats and shirts and socks. Fortunately for the nation, this was not to be his calling in life. While operating that store, Truman became active in democratic politics. Soon, he was elected to the administrative office of judge for Jackson County. Despite his outspokenness and direct, no-nonsense manner and language, in 1934, he was elected senator from the state of Missouri. During World War II, he chaired the vital Senate War Investigating Committee. Now, in this position, he helped to uncover waste and fraud in government spending, which was reported to have saved this country more than $15 billion. Now, this was the equivalent of over $275 billion today. In 1944, with President Franklin Roosevelt's fourth run for the presidency pending, several of the high political powers in the Democratic Party turned against incumbent Vice President Henry Wallace. They felt he was, well, far too liberal for Southern voters. Along with other alternatives, Truman's name was suggested as a possible running mate for Roosevelt. Now, initially, Truman refused to even be considered for the office. His wife was said to have hated not only President Roosevelt specifically, but also the White House in general. Now, in those days... The vice president candidate was selected by each political party at its convention. Well, after the first round of balloting by the Democratic delegates, the voting for vice president had Wallace leading Truman 
by over 100 votes. However, none of the eight stated candidates had a clear majority. Well, after a good deal of horse trading, the dust finally settled. And when it did, the Democratic Party decided upon Harry S. Truman as the vice presidential candidate to run alongside President Franklin D. Roosevelt. And of course, Roosevelt and Truman won, carrying 36 of the 48 states, along with 53.4% of the popular vote. Now, even with the poor health of President Franklin Roosevelt, little attention was given to the vice presidency. From the moment he took his oath of office as vice president, Truman was all but shut out of all knowledge concerning any important decision-making situations being made in the White House. He was kept so much in the dark that in April of 1945, with the sudden death of Roosevelt and his elevation to the office of presidency, he wasn't even aware of the existence of the atomic bomb. You know, for years, historians have, well, either overlooked or underrated the accomplishments of Truman's administration. However, one of the most monumental and controversial decisions came very early in his administration. Because of Roosevelt's sudden death, Truman had only 17 weeks in which to familiarize himself with the potential for destruction of the atomic bomb and gain an understanding of its future political ramifications. And yet, he made the monumental decision to drop the atomic bomb on Japan, not once, but twice. Then, after overseeing the surrender of both Germany and Japan, it was Truman who witnessed the signing of the United Nations Charter. <laughs> ah, but he was just getting started. President Truman was determined not to be lost in the shadow of the presidency. Many have forgotten that he had served as an influential senator from the state of Missouri for almost a decade before being elected vice president. Well, no sooner had the war ended than he presented to Congress his 21-point program for domestic improvement. It included the expansion of Social Security, a program to develop full employment, the creation of the Fair Employment Act, and a slum clearance for the creation of public housing. It will become known as the Fair Deal. <laughs> ah, but he didn't stop there, oh no. In 1947, when Russia began threatening to overrun Greece and Turkey, he convinced Congress to commence a containment program against Russia and communism. The Truman Doctrine, as it became known, called for the containment of communism, fearing that if one country fell to Russian forces, others would soon follow, a.k.a. the domino theory. He followed this theory with perhaps the most successful reconstruction program for one's wartime enemy 
ever created in history. The Marshall Plan put forth billions of dollars to help rebuild not only war-torn Europe, but also their former enemy, Germany. This had never been done before, but it worked spectacularly well. In 1948, Truman was once more challenged by the might of Russia. In an attempt to literally starve out the residents of Berlin, Russia established a military blockade for all transportation routes leading to the two million inhabitants of the western six sectors of that beleaguered city. In response, Truman ordered the most massive airlift in history. Air crews from the United States Air Force, as well as crews from Britain, France, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, and South Africa flew over 200,000 sorties, providing desperate West Berliners with everything from food to, to clothes to coal, even candy. Flying 24 hours a day nonstop, they would ultimately deliver almost 13,000 tons of drastically needed supplies to the ever-grateful West Berliners. Once more, Truman's plan had succeeded. Ah, but then it looked like Truman might have hit a wall. In the fall of 1948, President Truman was up for re-election against a very popular Thomas Dewey. Dewey was so confident of his election over Truman that he did very little campaigning. Well, not old Harry S. Oh, no. He commenced barnstorming the country by train. On the evening of November 2nd, 1948, anticipating Truman's defeat, the Chicago Tribune newspaper came out with the premature headlines, Dewey defeats Truman. Truman's proudest moment came as he displayed a copy of that paper for the press after hearing of his victory the morning after the election. Now, though few remember him as a civil rights leader, he was truly one of the first. It was July 26, 1948, that President Truman signed Executive Order Number 9981. By doing so, and despite a great deal of protest from both inside and outside the military, he abolished racial discrimination within the armed forces which eventually led to the end of segregation in all branches of the armed forces. One of the few dark spots in the Truman presidency came in June of 1950, when the communist government of North Korea, with the backing of China, invaded South Korea. There was almost total agreement that action had to be taken to stop this aggression, an action which ultimately continues to this day. This began a very long, discouraging ordeal for all the United Nations forces who participated. Now, to his credit, Truman 
did keep the war a limited engagement, which prevented it from escalating to include China or perhaps even Russia. With aggressive generals like Douglas MacArthur, this was not always easy. And so, in 1952, Truman chose not to run for another term as president. Now, you might envision Truman and his wife being flown on the presidential plane back to their palatial home in Missouri, where he would retire to a life of wealth and opulence, right? I mean, isn't that what all modern presidents do? Well, oh, this was far from the facts of what happened to a good old give hell Harry when he left office. For Truman, nothing could have been further from the truth. It was not his style. When Harry left the White House, he and his wife Bess drove back to Missouri by themselves in their Buick. Why, they didn't even have a single Secret Service person to escort them. Uh, this was probably very much to Bess Truman's liking. Now, despite having been the most powerful man in the world, the only asset which Harry and Bess had was a house in Independence, which she had inherited from her mother and father. It was there they would live for the rest of their lives. Now, during this time, people began to learn that while in office as president, Harry and Bess had paid for all their own food and travel expenses. As he faced retirement, his only income was an army pension reported to have been a mere $13,507.72 a year. When he was offered do-nothing corporate positions at high salaries, he declined, saying, You don't want me. You want the office of the president. And that doesn't belong to me. It belongs to the American people, and it's not for sale. He further went on to say, Any politician who makes money out of being in politics is a crook. My, my, how times have changed. Even many years later, President Truman never really changed. In May of 1971, when Congress wanted to award him the Medal of Honor for his 87th birthday, he refused to accept it, writing to them, I don't consider that I've done anything which should be a reason for any award, congressional or otherwise. When he died on December 26, 1972, at the age of 88, the United States lost a one-of-a-kind. As Shakespeare once wrote, He was a man. Take him for all in all. I shall not see his like again. Oh, and uh, what is the S in Harry S. Truman an abbreviation for? Well, actually, nothing. 
<laughs> Truman was given a middle initial, but no middle name. The S in Harry S. Truman refers to the names of both of his grandfathers, Anderson Ship Truman and Solomon Young. This has been a controversy since 1962 when Truman told reporters that they should not use a period after the S because it didn't stand for anything. Oh, and perhaps it was Truman himself who best summed up his life when he said, My choices in life were either to be a piano player in a horror house or a politician. And to tell you the truth, there's hardly any difference. <laughs> yep, that's our Harry. As always, to the end, amazing and defiantly true. Well, there you have it. Episode number 49 entitled Simply Amazing Harry. It's part of our weekly series entitled Elfie's Amazing But True Tales. Now, every week, you know, we feel very, very privileged to present for your enjoyment and edification a brand new audio story from our collection of amazing but true accounts from history. Now, some of these narratives come from our book entitled Elfie's Amazing But True Tales of American History and More. Hey, listen, as a listener to this program, did you know you are entitled to purchase autographed copies of our original book, Elfie's Amazing But True Tales of American History and More, at half the publisher's price of $13.95 or a mere $7 per book, and that includes free shipping and handling anywhere in the United States. Oh, what a deal. For more information, merely go to elfiesworld.com. That's A-L-F-Y-S-W-O-R-L-D, elfiesworld.com, and click on Elfie the Writer for more information. And now... I would like to thank the following for helping to make this program possible. First, Garrett Wolfram, our technical producer and supervisor. The late Irene Wolfram, principal editor and provider of Sage Council. Expert publishing for their help in editing and publishing our book. Lucas Ganza Anna Waltz for the Parlor Guitar Magic Set. Hoyne Tomish for the piano introduction, Dee Demizic for breakfast piano jingle, and finally, the thousands of readers who have supported our efforts from the beginning. <laughs>